Welcome to Trolodron Behind the Scenes. I'm Chad Corey. Episode 28, The Shadow Region. Well, hello and welcome to Charlton Behind the Scenes. I'm Chad Corey, and today we're going to be focusing on The Shadow Region, which is a brand new book coming out in the Charlton Story Universe. Actually, it's publishing this week, well, published Tuesday at the time of this recording, and I will be doing a tour tied into that, so let me quick plug that. For those who are interested, you can go to chadcorey.com, go to the events page, and you'll see a listing of where I'll be showing up on the basically pretty much every Saturday from now until uh, the end of April, uh, now being on the 25th of March to the end of April. And uh, there'll also be a list of a second tour I'll be doing, uh, this one for a graphic novel that isn't trial and related, but I will be able to sign copies of The Shadow Region, and I will be doing promotional elements of uh, promoting The Shadow Region during that tour as well. And let me just say real quick here too, if you do have copies of the Wizard King trilogy, that you'd like to have signed. I'm more than happy to sign those as well at these uh, events. It's not just specifically this book only. So whatever has my name on it for the most part, if you'd like to get it signed or just come in and uh, chat, these are all going to be meet and greets. They're very informal, very uh, free-flowing as far as opportunities, like I said, to chat, to sign copies and things like that. You're more than welcome to participate and show up for those. Again, chadcorey.com. Go to the events page. Uh, What is the Shadow Region? Well, Shadow Region initially came about as uh, an idea. Of, it just was a collection of notes. It wasn't really going to be something that I was going to write a story about or even a short story or any, anything of that nature. It was initially uh, a collection, like I said, of what was going on, specifically what took place with the Shadow, uh, I mean, excuse me, with the Wizard King trilogy, and what was going to be taking place in the aftermath of that. Basically, how is that going to cause the ripple effects that affect the rest of the universe? And what stories and storylines would I like to flesh out and develop later for the next collection of stories? And that was it. That was the initial plan, because I wanted to have a, a cohesive reference source I could go back to consistently and use to keep things coherent and universally you know, applicable to all the storylines. And as I wrote in that more and more, and as things got more developed, the idea was like, you know, this maybe could make a fun short story if I took certain elements of it, and, you know, this part here and this part here, that would be kind of cool. I can make a fun, just a little, you know, drop-in, fly-by kind of thing, an introduction to, you know, the the greater cosmos and show what took place, kind of like a a DVD extra scene or a value-added component to a a product or a book or something, a video game or something, you know, DLC or something, new content that expands upon the previous publication. And that was the basically the extent of it was I was going to just, oh, maybe do a short story. So I started writing. And as I wrote, it continued to grow. And I continued to find, oh, I could do a new scene here. I found a new scene here. I could expand this or put this in there. I could add that. And eventually it became a novella. And I said, okay, good. A novella's really good. It was bigger than what I wanted to do initially. But hey, you know, novella's great. We can put it in a collection. And again, it's just another fun story. Get some more information that people could could enjoy. And then as I began to work on that more and edit that more and, and flesh that out more, I realized, you know, why don't I just go all the way in and make it a novel? And that's what happened. We just 
took all the various scenes, elements, notes, and components, and flushed them out, filled them up, and completed it, and we ended up with the Shadow Regent novel. And uh, to make things even more amazing, I guess, but wait, there's more, we added in the uh, an appendices. And I always wanted to do an appendices with the uh, Wizard King trilogy, but I just kind of held off on it. I, I just I, I thought the books were kind of big enough as they were, and I didn't want to make them too big where we had to charge a lot more money and you know add elements like that in there. And I just thought, you know, I didn't know if it was really worth it to it towards the end. I just thought, well, let's just have it be a story. And now I have the opportunity to add in something to this book because, first of all, it's a standalone book, which was unique. I wanted to do a standalone story. I didn't want to have another you know, big, massive uh, series of titles you had to get into to enjoy a tale. I thought it would be fun to have at least once in a while have just one book. That that's all you had to read to get the story. And that was a fun challenge, too, because it allowed for the opportunity of focusing you know, entirely on one story. I couldn't have it... Uh, you know, splash over into another book or something it had to be all totally wrapped up and contained within one book. So that was a fun exercise in that respect. But it was also a good time for me to incorporate an appendices because now I had the chance to add in some elements that it made more sense for this book because there was so much going on. And the cosmos is so huge, as I'm sure you know if you've been to the Trollodon website, which is Trollodon.com, by the way. Um, you would know this is a, a very massive topic. And so having the opportunity to explore it a little bit more without doing another book, I took advantage of that with the, with the appendices. In particular, I wanted to make the appendices something that could uh, translate to other stories that come out as well. So having it work with the Wizard King trilogy, we incorporated elements such as a concise history of the Northern Hemisphere, background on the gods, how they're related to each other, what they're actually in charge of, what they actually do, the pantheonic councils that took place over the years and what they accomplished and why they were called. And there's some other fun elements that I, I enjoy particularly, but I thought would be of a benefit to the story, actually add some more depth and understanding to the story and give you some more background and maybe some more behind the scenes material to the Wizard King trilogy. So made it as beneficial and useful for this story and for the trilogy as well. And that was fun to do because, again, I never had the perfect opportunity like I had with this particular book. It, like, like I said, the previous trilogy just never really felt right to incorporate it. It just seemed like it was you know, not really a benefit, more of a drag on it. And now this felt better. It felt the right time to do so. So had a, had a great time doing that. And I think, like I said, it adds a lot to this particular story but will give a greater benefit as well to those who have read the Wizard King trilogy. The second element that I wanted to do with this particular story was to make sure not only was it standalone, but it could stand alone on its own merit. It didn't have to tie into anything necessarily. So the good news is you don't have to read the Wizard King trilogy to get into or enjoy the Shadow Region. They're self-contained entities. The other good news is that if you have read the trilogy, however, you're going to be able to benefit from extra bonus information. So it's kind of like Easter eggs or special little winks and nods here and there. You'll get maybe, I don't want to say greater depth of understanding, although that is possible. You'll have a fuller picture of what was going on with the Wizard King trilogy and get a, I guess you can say a bigger picture view of all the elements that were at play and are still 
at play with the rest of the uh, cosmos as it unfolds with the aftermath that took place in that particular trilogy. The other thing I was mindful of when writing it was I didn't want to be a big, massive story universe where people felt daunted trying to get into the the story. A lot of times you'll see authors, you know, they write these big, huge, massive series, and while they're good and probably entertaining on a lot of levels, they can be very daunting and intimidating for people that are just starting out into the genre particularly or with that author in uh, in their that storyline. And so they, you know, you look at, well, who do I read? Well, read so-and-so. Well, okay, you look at the book and it's like a thousand-page book and there's like 12 of them. You're like, oh, boy, that's a, that's a big commitment. And so I can understand, you know, I was that way too growing up. I just, you know, I didn't want to get into these big fat series or even just series in general. And so having a book that was completely standalone and just was a fun, entertaining read in and of itself provided the perfect uh, introduction to this world setting, but also to myself as an author and gave people the opportunity they wanted to, you know, kind of get to know me, get to know the story universe and so on and so forth without much of a, a commitment on their part. It's a one and done story. And you can get in. If you don't like it, okay. If you do, you can go on maybe to the uh, Wizard King Trilogy then or whatever else is available by the time. So those, those are my main focus points as far as the, the writing standpoint of producing it. What are or what went into writing it in general? Well, that's where we're going to get into some spoilers here. So if you don't want to know about that, skip ahead and uh, get to the end of this episode and you will be spoiler free and be able to enjoy the book without any other inside information. But for those who are brave and bold and wish to know more about the insight, provided by this episode. Let's forge ahead and get to some nitty-gritty stuff, really go behind the scenes. So what's going on with this particular storyline? There are three major elements that were incorporated into it. Number one, we have three gods being born, new triplets being born to Asora and Kuthom. And this was something that needed to be done for the storyline in particular. We needed to have some new gods and some challenges that they brought about with their birth. And so you have, this is the major, what I think, the major storyline that kind of drives the main story and the other elements of it. You have everyone now trying to figure out, okay, we got three new gods, and they're going to be coming of age eventually. So what does that mean for who's going to be in what position? How is that going to work on the Pantheonic Council? How are they going to be in the cosmos? What are they going to be incorporated into? Like, what is their main direction in life? What are they going to be in charge of? Is that going to put them at loggerheads with other gods, other divinities? Uh, you know, Basically, there's a lot of change and, and development that come about with this birth. And as you will understand and probably appreciate throughout the story, everyone is trying to angle and get themselves positioned for the best possible outcome as far as they see it and prepare themselves for what will be coming in the not-too-distant future. Again, they're only babies and they'll probably you know, be at least couple decades before they come of age and start claiming that. But when you're a god and you live for, you know, thousands of years, you know, what's 20 years? That's just, you know, blink of an eye for the most part. So a lot of this is jockeying and trying to get elements of control and input and, and, you know, like I said, shoring up and safeguarding, hedging bets and all that kind of stuff. Politicking, basically, a scheming, I guess you can say. What's going on is there as well. Uh, The other storyline or plot thread that went through this is you have the aftermath of Girthgall. Now, Girthgall, of course, took a big hit during the Wizard King trilogy. The gods at least initially figure out that he's not dead, so there is some relief on that element or that side of the story. But the downside is he's, they don't know where he is. And you can look all you want in the cosmos, but 
cosmos is a very big place, so you could look to the end of time and not necessarily find him. So on one hand, yeah, it's nice to know he's not dead, but on the other hand, it's like we never will probably ever see him again, so he just might as well be dead. And then, of course, you know, what's going on? Is he being tortured? Is he being, you know, a prisoner somewhere? I mean, all the kind of stuff that people don't know. Because as much as they might have disagreements and they might not like him as an individual, some of them might not necessarily, he's still their brother or uncle, whatever the case might be. And he's family. I, the fun thing with this world setting, or at least with the, the pantheon that I really enjoyed, I got to learn more about as I wrote, was that they may disagree, but most of the time they disagree without being disagreeable, which isn't always done in today's society. It's kind of refreshing to see that done. So you can disagree with someone and not like hate them or try and want to kill them or whatever. You you can just okay, you know, I don't agree with you on that, but you know, we're still family, we're still related, we still have a universe to run, we still have, you know, family relations and obligations and things. So that was really refreshing. And it was a, a unique thing I think we don't often see in fantasy, especially with gods and things. In fact, in some of the previous reviews for the Wizard King trilogy, what came up, I, I found rather interesting, was the comments to the effect that, you know, he doesn't write the gods like you think they would be. You know, the, the god of chaos and darkness isn't you know what you would think the god of chaos and darkness would be. In fact, one of the unique things with Astrolog, the god of death, is in this storyline, it's another minor plot thread, is he's actually concerned with life. <laughs> you wouldn't you wouldn't think about that, you know, the god of death, he's supposed to be this, you know, Grim Reaper type guy that wants to kill everything and, you know, torture death and you know, disease and all. He's actually kind of the opposite of that. He's more of the philosophical uh, thinker and he's interested in death, yes, but maybe not in the ways that a lot of people think you should be interested in death. And so so having him have this I don't want to say moral crisis, but thinking deeper about the issue. Okay, where where do my loyalties really lie? What what really am I getting myself into? Because he's realizing that he likes his family and he 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 likes life as much as he's into death and promotes death and that kind of stuff. He's still I don't want to say a softy, but he still he still loves his family. He's still into you know. There's still elements of of life in his propagation that he finds I don't want to say appealing, but has sort of a sentimental attachment to him, which, as you can see, as a god of death would be maybe a juxtaposition in, in one hand, but a, a definite conflict in another. So that was an interesting element to bring out and explore more in this particular storyline. But again, the gods were just fun to put together on that sense because they had such an interesting dynamic. The, the unique element that I enjoyed writing so much with the gods was that dynamic, that interaction between them. For those who've been following me for a while now, you are aware that I've been writing or developing the world of Trollodon for about 30 years in various ways and forms. And so it's become very second nature to me. And it's, you know, especially the big, the big baddies, the big goodies, whatever you want to call them, especially the gods, they've been so well ingrained in my consciousness now that I know them very well, very intimately. And it was it's almost second nature now to, to put them on paper and to write them out because you, you basically know their agendas and and a little bit of their personalities, but this was the opportunity to really get in and let them have full reign. They just were able to go and do whatever they wanted to do, and for the most part, that's what they did. And that was very interesting, but also very enjoyable, because uh, as I was writing, especially the dialogue scenes or the interaction scenes, 
as I was writing those scenes, uh, putting down the dialogue for certain characters or whatever, the response or the retort or the you know the, the interaction for the other characters would be immediate. I'd be getting that information downloaded to me before I even got to finishing up the initial uh, words and verbiage of the other deity. So it was that well ingrained, and it was a very uh, enjoyable uh, interplay to watch as the characters, for the most part, really came alive throughout a lot of that interaction and interplay. And it provided me the opportunity to showcase the more or less day in the life. I, I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because, you know, what is day in the life for a deity, right? But more or less day in the life kind of elements of what is going on with these deities when there is not this great epic struggle of the universe or the Trollodon in, in play. And it, it was interesting to see the family dynamics with all the characters, how they how they interact collectively with their own family units, but also in the larger extended family. And it was really cool to see how the lesser gods, the race gods, played into all this as well, because they gave you another perspective. I was able to do some things with Panthora that really... I thought gave a new perspective on what it's like to be brought into the pantheon, but yet not really be a god, but be a god, if that makes sense. So knowing that you weren't born a god, but you were elevated to the position, what does that entail? What does that mean? What is your responsibility? And how does that make you feel, especially with three new gods being born? Because this is something the race gods have never seen. They were brought in well after everything was established, and so now they're seeing a whole other element uh, to the Pantheon take shape that way. And it provided a great opportunity, this storyline, to go back in time and share more of why everything is the way it is. That was enjoyable because we didn't really get a lot of the history elements in the Wizard King trilogy. We hinted at that. We had Vakar's throne, but no one really knew. It's like, yeah, it's there, and it was there for a reason, and we got to interact a little bit with Vakar. But it's like, okay, well, but what does that mean? Now we know more about that. We know more about what's going on, how that came about, why that came about, what happened when that oath was broken with Galba and Girthgal. And then we also know more about what is prophesized to take place with through the Omnian scrolls, which we introduce in this particular story, and how they play a role in the, the Pantheon and uh, the future events and current events and things of that nature. So a lot of fun historical elements that got to be pulled in and uh, tied in as well, which I thought was great. So you had history, you had mythology, you had cosmology. It was all getting pulled into there. And then you have a third thread, another third plot that pulled everything together. So if you look at the cover, we, we hint at these three main plots. We, like I said, the first one was Girthgold's absence. Or excuse me, the first one was uh, uh, Asora giving birth to the twins, and she's on the uh, tri triplets, excuse me, she's on the cover. Uh, the lady in, in white there with kind of the, the bulging belly. And then you have Grithgo in the background. He's kind of hidden in the background, so to speak, hinting at, you know, they don't know where he is. And then the third plot line, which we hint at with the other character on the cover, is this secret plot to try and take advantage of what's going on with Grithgo's absence, particularly on Alteran, and how they can uh, use that to their own advantage. And that's where we wrap up the plot with Shador. Now, for those who don't know, Shador was a character that came about primarily, I believe, in Book 2 of the Wizard King trilogy, Trial of the Wizard King. He was uh, introduced as a uh, challenge that Dugan had to overcome, and he did. 
but we don't really hear a whole lot more with him. I think we hint a little bit about him with Triumph of the Wizard King, but basically he's done after after book two. And book three focuses on a different element of the story and, and moves things along that way. But in this book, he plays a very major role in a lot of the things that are going on, especially with the third plot of the story. And it was really cool to get a chance to introduce him in his own right. And it was very interesting, again, to get to do that because he proved to be a catalyst for a lot of things in the story that I wasn't initially thinking could be done. And it was just an enjoyable process to get a chance to read and tell his story because we never really did. We just kind of, you know, introduced him kind of like, oh, he's this weird deity wannabe with his cult on on Talithiel. And if he was basically destroyed, we thought, or his cult was, and that was the end of it. Well, now we get to see what happened with the aftermath of that and how that ties into this whole massive, I don't want to say coup, but it's just a very subtle takeover of power with Alteran and using Grithgol's absence to his advantage. And so we find out also what happens with the medallion that he took, or necklace, medallion, whatever you want to call it, from uh, Chaladrin and what he's going to do with that and how that comes into his plans. And we learn more about what happened with the uh, Scepter of Night, because that's kind of one of those plot threads that wasn't really resolved. I mean, it was, was kind of like the scene from Indiana Jones' Ark of the Covenant, where you had, you know, the, you see the warehouse at the end of the show, end of the movie, and all these things are hidden away. It's like, okay, well, the gods have it. All right, we'll put it in our storage unit, and then we don't really talk about it <laughs> anymore after that. And I thought it would be really good to touch base on that and at least share what's going on with that, what happens with that. And so that, the, the Scepter and Shador and another character by the name of Rylus are introduced. And then, of course, we get to get reintroduced to Twyla, who we learn more about in the Wizard King trilogy. She's one of uh, one of the Ladies of Darkness who is in uh, Grithgol's harem, who is kind of working her way up, shall we say, into his favor. And uh, she begins to have a pivotal role in a lot of uh, the storylines that develop as well. So, again, it was just uh, very interesting and very, uh, I guess, enjoyable on a lot of levels, too, like I said, to bring her into the play, into the story, and uh, see how she interacts with, with Shador and all the other characters that, that come into play with all of their other agendas and things that are, are taking place. So, you have these three major plot threads, are, plot threads, like I said, taking place, and then you have all the various historical and cosm- cosmic elements, and then everyone has their own agendas, tied into that. And then on top of that, uh, I was wanting to try this into future stories, kind of giving hints at what was taking place in new stories that would be coming down the pike. And I was able to do that towards the end. I'm not going to share too much and share any spoilers on that. But if you read the end of the book, you'll begin to see, especially the last chapter, you'll see where the new stories are going to be developed. In fact, we hinted some early on with some of the race gods too. But uh, you see what's going on with Panthora and some things that took place with Rowan after the event there, because he was kind of another loose thread that we don't really, we kind of wrap up with uh, Triumph of the Wizard King, but we don't really have a total resolution. It's kind of more like a continuation. Everyone else's story more or less can come to a satisfactory conclusion. With Rowan, it was like, okay, well, what's next? I mean, you know, some people are asking, well, what's next? Well, you, you kind of see what's next. We kind of hint at that with uh, some scenes with Panthora. And we also hint at what's next with Cuthon and what he's planning, and that also happens to tie in with Rowan. So 
And that'll be another story that I'm working on and uh, looking to get out there in the near future. And I won't give this away because it was really exciting when I was listening to the audiobook. Uh, we have a great twist um, with what's going on in the massive, mega, big picture uh, elements of the story of the cosmos and the very last page of the story. And again, I won't won't spoil that. I don't want to give that away too much. I think it's just really fun to experience that yourself as that's the last thing you'll read. And it's like, whoa. And I, 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 it had the intended effect, at least for me, when I listened to the audio. And again, Michael Braun did a really great job. And I was getting to the last part of the audio, the last chapter, listening to the last uh, few pages there. And I, 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 of course, you know, being a person who, who wrote it, you know it's coming. But it just was amazing and it had a very powerful effect. I think what readers will have when they read it, if they don't know what's going on, I listen to it. I'm like, whoa! That ends perfectly. That ends just the way it needs to be, and it's it's a great, powerful ending. Some people might not like it because it's kind of cliffhangerish, but I think it's just the right way to put everything in perspective and bring everything back full circle, as it were, to the um, the whole cosmic storyline as it is, and get people set up for either you know contemplating what's coming next or just speculation and what's going on and just. It provides a lot of a lot of great opportunities for that between interaction with readers and fans and things like that to kind of think about what's going on. It also, I think, coming to the end of the book provides a great ribbon, a little bow on top of everything else. It ties everything else up neatly, and in a lot of ways is the I don't want to say curtain call, but it's the really the final chapter in the Wizard King trilogy in a lot of ways, but also a great introduction point into the world setting in particular. So it accomplishes a lot of different things. But it's all one fun story, and um, like I said, I had a great time writing it. It was a story that wasn't supposed to be necessarily, but ended up being, and uh, I'm very glad it did because it just turned out really well. And I think the whole concept with the cover and putting it together like we did, making it all white for the most part, making it more eye-catching that way, was a great striking design concept. And the more I see it in stores and on shelves, the more pleased I am that we went with that direction. So hopefully you guys think the same of it. And I'm looking forward, like I said, if you want to share some commentary or feedback on this particular episode or just the series in general, podcast, a series, I should say, in general, you can send it to behind, that's B-E-H-I-N-D at Chad Corey, that's C-H-A-D-C-O-R-R-I-E dot com. And I look forward to getting that emails and uh, sharing answers or answering things in various podcasts that follow. Again, this is a quarterly or I think a bi-monthly podcast we're doing here. Excuse me. So it won't be next month, but the month after that, we'll be talking about some more things. In the meantime, thank you so much for your support. I do appreciate that. And if I see you on the tour, thank you for coming out to the tour. Please consider doing that if you're able to do so. And please consider picking up the book in some way, shape, or form. Uh, whether it's print, digital, or audio formats, that does help, obviously. The more awareness people have, the more purchases that are made. Obviously, it's beneficial for everyone involved, at least on the publishing side, the book side, and everything else in that respect. And if you don't, like I said, if or go to the library, too. That always helps, too. Uh, that's where I get a lot of my books, and did that initially, too, in the beginning. But I, they still need to buy books. They still need to get them from publishers. So that is a benefit in and of itself. And do consider, you know, in the very least, sharing the word of the book or releases or the world setting with other people. That does help. Getting the word out there does help. Getting the awareness increases uh, a lot of things. It can increase purchase power with uh, buyers and things. It can get people you know, interested in picking up from the library. Just a whole lot of things. It doesn't take a lot of time to share 
uh, repost or retweet or whatever the case might be, or just sharing word of mouth with people you come across and make them aware of it, or even pointing people to the podcast. That's great as well. So we're going to end today with a special treat here. I've been talking enough about the audio version with Michael Brunn. I thought I'd share it with you. So I'm going to share a clip from him reading the prologue for The Shadow Regent, giving you a taste of what the book is about on one hand, but also letting you know kind of what a great job Michael did in reading in general, maybe getting you tempted to uh, check out the audiobook as well. So thanks so much. We'll see you next time and enjoy this reading. Girth Gall kept his eyes shut, concentrating. Not that there was anything to see in the midst of the void anyway. There was just an empty blackness for infinity. It was the one place even the two cosmic entities, ontogeny and null, feared to tread, having formed the cosmos to escape it. And yet even as that cosmos swelled in size and dominion over the desolate benighted expanse, it was gnawed on from every angle. The very substance of reality was crushed and torn into the most basic of components, which were further brought out of existence. The void was the place where all things met their end, and the original state of reality. And he, the god of chaos and darkness, was its prisoner. The only thing keeping him alive was Vakar's throne. It had the power to sustain him for as long as was needed. And right now he would use it to the fullest extent. His father had crafted it to overthrow the old order, to topple and destroy Ontogeny and Null, but had failed. Girthgall had thought he could finish the task, but fell short himself, and now suffered his fate. The black chains encircling him in the ancient white marble seat had been formed from part of Null, and as such were alive in their own way. He could feel them biting into him like jagged metal, irritating him just enough to annoy and perhaps eventually drive him mad, but not enough to do any real physical harm. This was all part of the torture. He was to remain seated in the throne, chained in the midst of the void, until his captors came to finish the job, or he helped things along on his own. But he wasn't about to surrender. He'd been so close, had tasted victory at hand, and would have attained it had he acted bolder at the first. In his mind's eye, he relived the final battle between the cosmic entities. They had stood across from him, actually willing to face him in direct conflict, and he gladly gave it to them. The throne had tapped into their very essence and was siphoning it from them and into itself just as Vakar had created it to do. He had felt their fear. They were seeing what a god could do. They were witnessing the end of their age. And had he been faster to act, the cosmos would have been freed. But he'd just come off of his battle with the upstart human wizard, Kadrith, who thought he could take out the entire pantheon on his own. But Kadrith himself wasn't anything but a puppet, deluded into thinking that if he did Null's bidding, he'd be able to seize even greater glory. In the end, a simple goblin did Cadrith in, 
wielding what Girthgall now understood was an ancient wonder, created by wizard kings of old to weaken and even defeat a god. It sucked all the fight out of the wizard, returning him to his former lich state. And from there, it was an easy thing for Girthgall to send him off to Mortis. While he delighted in the victory and took that confidence into the next fight, Girthgall now realized that same confidence had made him too sure of himself. If he had just shut up and concentrated on unraveling the two entities, they wouldn't have been able to take him. He would have prevailed, and the Pantheon, Trollodren, and the rest of the cosmos would have been safe, and himself hailed as their champion and savior. He willed himself to tap deeper into the throne. He'd learned some things while seated upon it millennia ago, following his father's death. Then he'd taken it by sheer coincidence of necessity. His daughter had been corrupted by Null and turned against her family. Once she slew Vakar, the throne was left vacant and the cosmos in peril. For the throne wasn't created to remain empty. And the longer it did, the more the cosmos suffered destruction. Girthgall had found himself racing for the throne before he knew what he was doing. He took his seat and saved the cosmos, but the cost was high. Trapped on the throne, he could never leave, lest the cosmos shatter. But he'd learned some things while its prisoner, saw some potential for future glory for the gods, as well as learned more of the throne's hidden nature. It not only augmented the power of the one seated upon it, but could also drain the cosmic entities of their power. And that's when he'd caught a glimpse of his father's grand plan, a plan he supported more eagerly now than ever before. And he could still do it. The Pantheon could still win. The cosmos could still be liberated. If he could just get free of these chains, he could finish where he left off. For the chains not only kept him on the throne, but subtly leached enough of his own power and essence away to keep him below his full strength. The throne would then have to supplement what lacked, which kept it weaker as a result. The chains also served as an anchor to the void. He couldn't leave, no matter how hard he tried. And he'd done nothing but try since being deposited into this yawning ocean of nothingness. Once more, he latched on to the throne's core, taking a firm hold with his mental and spiritual hands and attempting to pull it up and into himself. Nothing. Same as the last time and the time before that. He snarled as he swelled his chest and arched his back nothing. The chains held him fast. Enraged, he bellowed his hatred into the void. But even this was in vain. The sound was consumed as soon as it left his lips, leaving only a muffled anger in his ears. He would be free. He would prevail. This podcast is copyright Chad Corey. All rights reserved.